Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here again with our guest host, Dan Marquez. Dan, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. And I, Dan and I got together and we thought we'd have a conversation on how to start a not-for-profit organization. So for those that know Dan, he's done a whole bunch of things in consulting and then currently works at Google. He is now also a newly minted podcast host. So congratulations on that as well. So you should Thank all you. check out his uh, new podcast upcoming. But we thought he'd have a, a conversation as well on uh, one of the possibly lesser known parts of uh, Dan's fame and uh, that he started a not-for-profit, uh, the University Consulting Group. So uh, I'd love if you could share a little bit about uh, the UCG, where they are right now, and then we'll kind of go back in time and talk about uh, UCG when it was a kid <laughs> just growing up and all that sort sure. of stuff. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the not-for-profit organization, uh, University Consulting Group. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to do so. I have all this fancy equipment now, so might as well use it. <laughs> uh, to, to have conversations with fine folks like yourself. So the University Consulting Group, or more briefly, UCG, as, it, as we con- commonly refer to it, mm-hmm. is, a, um, is an organization that focuses on providing uh, pro bono strategy services to Canadian charities and nonprofits. And it does so by pairing a number of different you know, disparate groups together, right? It engages... Um, Charities and nonprofits, their leadership that have some sort of a strategic challenge, they normally don't have the time or capacity or, or skills to deal with, mm-hmm. with a kind of core working team of like the smartest folks that we can find from some of the best campuses in Canada, and then give them the oversight and mentorship of a group of people involved in UCG that have been doing this for a while, and people from the consulting industry that can provide direct mentorship to these folks as they execute these projects so that the net output of the work can be as close to what you would expect to get from a paid engagement with a consulting firm as possible, right? Like these are real results, real outcomes for real organizations. Right. And if I were to put it in my own words, it's basically taking students from universities, pairing them up with somewhat seasoned consultants and doing a whole bunch of work that charities and not-for-profits don't have the capacity to do so that they can hopefully become even more uh, better versions of themselves uh, along the way and hopefully give some students some, some good quality experience and then the consultants that support them, uh, give them a kind of a warm feeling in their stomachs for having given back <laughs> to, to, to the uh, folks around. Yeah, yeah. I, we, you know, early on when we were trying to define what success looked like for the organization, we talked about the fact that there needed to be a mutually beneficial kind of three-part win Mm -hmm. that came out of every engagement, right? The students that were involved, obviously, there are a few things they're looking for, right? They're looking for familiarity with the consulting industry. They're looking to build up their skills and competency and some things they don't necessarily get out of most of their schoolwork. Um, They're looking for potentially an opportunity that's going to give them an in to the consulting industry or at least something to put on the resume that helps them stand out. Uh, right, so they're looking for a great experience. Yeah. That makes sense. Obviously, for the clients, they are looking to do work that they just don't necessarily always have the capacity to try. These are problems they understand that they have, that they know yeah. they need to take a bigger picture lens on. 
but just the, the capacity, they're always running all out, right? If there's one yeah. thing I've learned about nonprofit organizations, it's like the leadership is is running flat out pretty much all the time dealing right. with fires and tactical stuff. So they get they get to actually take those bigger picture, you know, analyses and actually use them. And then for the mentors, right, folks that are in the consulting industry, this is an opportunity for them to to give back. It's an yeah. opportunity to engage with with prospective talent, people that are, you know, these are some of the like we our our acceptance rate from the people that apply is like somewhere between like one and five percent. Right. Like these okay. are like the smartest people on campus, full stop. Yeah. Um, so this is some pretty exceptional talent to try to get access to. And they are getting like if you wanted to give people a boot camp on how to be good consultants, this process is it. Yeah. Right. So so there's that. Not to mention that some of the folks you mentioned, like these aren't all like partners from the consulting industry. Sure. But people from various levels. And it's usually an opportunity for them to play up level in a meaningful way versus like their their actual day job in consulting. Right. So. You have people that are kind of core consultants and they're operating like managers, managers operating like partners. It's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of good for everybody. Yeah. And, and obviously for, as an organization, we're happy to facilitate it and, and, you know, deliver this into the, the Canadian marketplace. Yeah. Uh, all great stuff and, and a lot of uh, good things that come up of it. And I'd love if you kind of rewind the tape and go back early into uh, UCG's uh, lifetime. So what was UCG like as a kid, or I guess in, in this case, like <laughs> w what was the genesis, the start of it? Like sure. uh, before it was an, an organization that doing all these amazing things, like how did the idea start? Was, was it you? Did you have co-founders or like uh, first engagements? How did you find your uh, the, the first uh, client and stuff like that? Uh, if you can talk a little bit about that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Happy to do so. So it started effectively as a, as a student organization. It began at mm -hmm. U of T. There is um, an organization on campus that does consulting-related work, right? And at the time, there was a bit of a, I'll say a divide amongst the leaders of that organization about the direction that it should take, right? Okay. I think there was a few different options around kind of narrowing their focus, partnering with like select consulting firms as opposed to taking in mentors from across all of the different firms, um, continuing to focus on nonprofits versus starting to engage with startups or for-profit businesses. So there was there was a bit of a divide. And a subset of those folks who ultimately became my, my co-founders, they were a, you know, a set of those student leaders and they, they weren't happy with the direction. So they, just, they decided to go and create their own kind of parallel version of the thing to focus more narrowly on the the mission that they thought was the most um, appropriate one or important one to, to pursue. And yeah. I had historically been a consultant mentor to teams within, the, within that other organization. And once they decided to branch off and I'd interacted with them in a number of different uh, spots before with teams and stuff, they reached out and said, would you like to be sort of our inaugural mentor slash oversee that part of this organization. So I thought that was interesting. I, I agreed with the direction that they wanted to take versus the one that the other organization at the time had wanted to pursue. So I was happy to work with them on it. And so that's how the university consulting group was founded. But for a while, it was still effectively a, um, a student organization. And then as it went on, and as we started to 
build some structure and some maturity and we started to really figure out the pieces of how this thing should work and work differently, we realized that there was a lot more potential in what we were building than just an interesting student group. Not to mention that sure. these folks were moving on from being students pretty soon and they wanted to continue to see this thing grow because it was very early on and if they left now, right, this this nascent thing would probably die on the vine versus the the competitor organization that it had it had uh, spawned off from. Right. So we all agreed to get involved and to stay involved. We, you know, decided that we needed to put in place a little bit more sort of organizational structure. And mm -hmm. that's when a few things happened. First, we all took on some respective like individual leadership roles. So I took on the role as the first CEO for the organization and my co-founders, you know, CFO and COO respectively. Um, and then we also, you know, a little bit after that, we decided that the, the model had the potential to be something that could extend beyond a single campus. Mm. So that's when we, we started to scale the structure up. We started to add in more and more elements that emulated how the consulting industry worked, right? So we, we added in like an educational program that all of the consultants got. So they had a better baseline. We added in knowledge retention. Um, and kind of standardized materials and templates so that we had higher quality control over what was being produced. We had easier access to kind of content repeatability. Um, we started putting in place rigor around, uh, around client management so that we could like see if the client was happy, step in if something wasn't working, so that we could see if there was an opportunity to do another piece of work with a client, you know, uh, the next term. And then importantly, we realized that a lot of this was replicable in a hub and spoke model or a, a chapter and hub model was the, mm -hmm. was what we originally called it. And so we started, we, I think Ryerson was our first extension chapter. And so then we moved to a two chapter model, three chapter, et cetera. And now we have quite a few, we have a presence at quite a few different universities um, where, you know, those are all places for sourcing talent, but, um, you know, we centralize a lot of the structure of how we do this work and how we make sure that we maintain those quality expectations. That's amazing. Well, a lot of great insights and information and it must have been uh, amazing to go through that journey. I I'd love if we uh, step back a little bit and, and go into some of the details. So, so you talked about uh, branching off, creating that parallel group and, and being asked to be the inaugural mentor. And at that point, were, were you a student or were you in no. consulting right now? Or yeah, and, I, and where I were, where were the, the other co-founders? I had been in the consulting industry for a number of years already. Yeah. So I had been a team mentor to probably, you know, four or five years worth of teams at that point. Right. Um, and then the co-founders were, were both students. Right. Okay. One was, um, I believe he was in his undergrad at the time, and the other was in a graduate program. Okay. Um, so they were both involved, and you know they that that's where the kind of divide occurred. But I think they were both close to or on the cusp of completing their studies and leaving, which right. was one of the motivations for putting a little bit more structure in place around this thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love if you shared a little bit on like this this newfound uh, parallel group that that's created. Well, I guess uh, now minted as UCG. I guess at that point, it's it's already called UCG, or is it something else first? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, um, so, UCG was the inaugural name. It has yeah. stuck. 
Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm glad for it because I think the the absence of any kind of direct explicit connection back to the University of Toronto meant that it had that extensibility from day right. one to be right. to be more more broad. But yeah, th- those very early days were interesting because it was kind of a question of what is the mission that we're trying to hit on? Like, what is the the distinct reason why this organization in particular needs to exist? Right. And, you know, at, at, at first it was really just like running a similar playbook, similar kinds of work. But I think what, what crystallized over time, and especially I think as I more formally took on a role as the, you know, as the CEO and the leader for the organization was what are we trying to achieve? That's where that idea of like, you know, real outcomes for real organizations and real people, that idea of we want to make sure we have a, a value proposition that hits on on all of the stakeholders, right? It's not just a student organization. It's not just for the, the clients. We have to be beneficial to everyone. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we should be we should be aiming for and we should be expecting that we're delivering results that are comparable to a paid engagement from a real consulting firm, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, from a professional consulting firm where people are paid to do their work, right? Because I don't yeah. know if I've mentioned it, but everyone involved in this thing all the way from the students to the organizational leaders and everyone, everyone is a volunteer, right? right? There are no paid staff associated with UCG at all. Everything right. is volunteer. And that comes with its own set of challenges, obviously. Sure. But the, um, the fact that that was how we were structured meant that everyone, there need to be an obvious buy-in for everyone, right? Yeah. And it also led us, yeah, to get, as I said, this idea of like, we need to deliver those results because otherwise, this is all just going to be kind of toy work. It's right. kind of a nice to have thing for students. They get a useful thing. They get to put on the resume. They forget about it. And for for charities and nonprofits, it's mostly a waste of their time and maybe kind of a nice way for them to give back. I'm like, that's not that's not the point, <laughs> right? Right. If this doesn't feel like real work, and if we don't track whether or not they action it, then like we're not doing anything that's actually worthwhile. And it doesn't put the appropriate level of pressure on the students to deliver real results that actually matter, right? They're just, right. they're like pulled out of thin air. So all of that, all of that discipline and structure gradually started to layer itself on. And we've had a number of kind of, I'll call it like organizational refreshes or upheavals over time where we've had sure. so many things layered on that we've taken a step back and tried to kind of rethink and reevaluate how it's structured. We play with lots of different kinds of leadership roles and portfolios that we've had over time. We've had chief strategy officers. We've had a chief uh, experience officer. We've had <laughs> chief customer officer. We've had lots of different roles trying to take aim at different things we were trying to prioritize over time. Right. And I think at the moment of inception, they've all been, they've all been worthwhile. And then, over time, those things have all evolved, and now we're not even in a like um, you know a hub and chapter model anymore. We follow a different model that's more structured around around the verticals and okay. around people being part of individual verticals, and then also playing these kind of like horizontal roles on behalf mm-hmm. of their campus, right? Okay. So we have people that are involved from campus that are part of teams, but also people that are on campus that are part of the you know the organization as a whole right as, right. as administrating this machine and you know we, we pump quite a few of these projects through every year like i think at our peak we did um i think we did like 20 engagements in a year right like one wow. sort of like full term cycle i think yeah. it's it's a little bit less now as we try to focus and and shift some things but 
you know, this is quite a lot of work. You know, we've done a lot of work with a lot of pretty notable nonprofits and charities. And like, we've, we've got the opportunity to see real results, right? I mean, we were talking to the executive of one major, uh, you know, Toronto based charity. And they're like, yeah, we just successfully applied for and, and acquired a $75,000 grant largely on the basis of the work that your team did in helping us wow. reposition ourselves and telling our value story. Like that's, that's a real result for an organization yeah. for which 75 K in funding is transformative. Right. Yeah. So that's amazing. So again, lots of amazing work and very tangible results as well, which, which, which I love to hear. And I'd love if we uh, connect to, I guess the, the starting of it, of it all. Right. So you mm -hmm. mentioned, you were the mentor, you were, you had some students and were they part of like the consulting team? And you, you mentioned the third area where you need a client. So yeah. what was the process to land that first consulting project at UCG? Was it pretty simple and straightforward to, to do that? Did you only have one client that you're serving or did you have multiple? Cause you mentioned 20 engagements in a, in a school year. That that's a, a pretty impressive. Um, but what was kind of the first one that UCG out the start gate, how did that work? You know, that is a good question. Honestly, like I, I should go back and check to see what was our inaugural engagement out the gate. <laughs> I, I don't recall off the, off the top of my head, but at the very beginning, I think the fact that we had all been doing this kind of stuff for a while, right? Like yeah. I, I knew how to mentor teams. I obviously, I knew what good consulting work was supposed to look like, or at least I'll, I'll say, I, I believe I did. Um, <laughs> sure. and, and they Thank knew you the how, yeah. you know, they'd been running a comparable organization. So the idea of like, you know, sort of the logistics, at least on campus of how to get a team corralled and like how to run it over the course of a term or whatever, those, those were things that we knew how to do, right? How to, you know, source the first client. Fortunately, with the nature of the work that we're doing, first off, we already had some established relationships. Yeah. We also had everyone, you know, had a body of like charities or nonprofits they've personally interacted with that, you know, there's appetite for them to, to be involved. And the nature of this work, it, we honestly don't have that hard of a time sourcing people that are interested in getting access to this once they understand that what they're getting is not them investing their time on behalf of students, sure. but them investing their time on behalf of their organizations and getting something that is very real and actionable. So, you know, the, that the first set of engagements, not that hard, right? You put out, you put out a call, start to get students interested. Um, you know, you focus on trying to get the right quality through the door. I think the first, the rough cuts of this stuff, are not necessarily that difficult. And right. I think just going for it and trying it and getting something in the world that you can refine is way more important than attempting to design the sort of perfect version of this thing from the outset and not starting until you have it, right? Yeah. We had a decent idea of what these things would look like. We could pull it together, but I would be surprised if I would be satisfied with the result of that first engagement in retrospect, sure. right? Yeah. Because we evolved greatly over the course of, you know, of the almost a decade now since we started this thing. Yeah. Um, because like that wasn't really the intent. It was still largely a student group at the outset. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, that that's a very important point for anyone that's budding to start a not-for-profit student group or what have you. It's just get something out in the world and, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Get it out there. Uh, ref you'll be able to refine it, evolve it. 
And hopefully 10 years later, you'll have something that you're really proud of. But probably 10 years after that, you'll be even more proud of it. <laughs> 10 years after that, you'll be even more proud of it. So yeah, and, I think that, you know, that's great. As someone that is maybe counter to, to, to form a pretty risk averse person, um, okay. there is something to be said for the fear of having regrets in retrospect in the future. <laughs> right. That, that can keep you from like, you're like, no, well, I just, I need to figure all these things out. I mean, this is yeah. true. You mentioned that I, I started my own podcast recently and, yeah. you know, we probably could have launched that significantly earlier, if not for the fact that there are a lot of things and you want to put your best foot forward and everything, of mm -hmm. course, but there is something to be said for just getting on with it and putting something into the world that you can iterate on, um, as opposed to trying to just sort of admire the problem in perpetuity and find the perfect answer. Cause I don't think that exists. Yeah. I read it. I read a, a quote recently that I mean, was attributed to Steve jobs. I don't know if it really was, but I mean, it was, it was okay. inspirational anyway. And sure. it was about <laughs> uh, like the, a good idea at best gets you 10% of the way there. And the way that the product looks in your mind when you're at the good idea stage, very rarely looks like what the product actually looks like when it really kind of goes out the door and into the market because of the, just the sheer amount of iteration that you experience as you try to take an idea and mash it up against reality and find out that right. they don't really fit. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that we certainly found that here, right? Like we were able to put a reasonable version of this concept, which was a facsimile of what we thought the prior organization should look like into the world. Yeah. But there's a reason why it doesn't look anything like what it does now, because it, we've been we've been applying a decade worth of learnings and discipline and rigor and passion to to yep. this thing, and now it uh, and now it's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I'm, anything you produce, uh, Dan, is always awesome. So that's I, true. That's a true thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm glad that you speak speak truths in this way. For, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to share a, a few of, of, of the milestones along the way. So uh, are you able to outline any kind of hardships along the way where like, oh, we almost closed our doors or we couldn't uh, do something sure. here or I don't know, s something had our, our back in the wall, that sort of thing. Because a lot of folks hear these stories and it's, it's smooth sailing. Everything's awesome. It's always uh, up and to the right, that sort of thing. <laughs> but with a lot of these smooth things, there's ups and downs. Curve. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing are you able to share share a few that 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 might be helpful for folks in terms of learning uh, along the way to, if they decide to start their own uh, not-for-profit for sure so i mean there there are so many issues that that come along with this right so first being a volunteer organization comes with a whole raft of challenges around talent talent retention keeping people engaged and excited people kind of signing up for, for this and then not really coming through, right? right? I think that we have, we've certainly experienced that quite a lot, you know, to a certain extent within our core organization, less, not, not as much there, but, you know, at the, at the student level, especially earlier on, you know, we had, we had people sign up and they look great on paper. They look great when we interviewed them. And then whenever some, you know, whenever something got difficult with student work or whatever, the, the first sign of trouble, they just like ghosted the program entirely and left their, <laughs> their client out to dry. And, yeah. you know, th these are real problems. And I think, okay, let me take a more, a more structured approach to this question. I think there are lots of problems that are unforeseeable because 
just the like the logistics are too complicated to try to envision everything at the outset, right? So okay. we as we grew, there were lots of things like we have to kind of get all the the volume levels to line up at the same time, right? We need the right number of clients with the right number of students in the right locations with the right number of mentors for the body of work. Any one right. of those that's too far out of whack and we have a huge backlog of, of clients that then lose interest or we can't serve the number of clients we've like directionally committed to that have great work or we can't give the students the right level of mentorship coverage, right? So, so that, that balancing act uh, that that was one of the earliest challenges that we started to really grapple with as we grew and expanded. Right. I think some of the um, some of the earlier conversations that we had around trying to move to a a, um, a chapter based model, right, and some of the very early conversations to try to launch Ryerson as a chapter were amazingly challenging, right? Because um, you're you're trying to like imp- you're trying to create this entirely new thing. But it's not with the kind of the folks that started it. Now you're trying to say, hey, guys, like we have this cool idea. I know you've never met us before, but like, <laughs> can you guys take this and make it real on your campus? And and then, you know, of course, there's a question of like, maybe they'll be like, yeah, that is a cool idea. So we're just going to do our own version of it on our campus. And yeah. like, what are you going to do about it? So, you know, that that prompts you to think like, oh, OK, yeah. Like, what What is my value proposition here? Like what do I have that makes that action by them like just a non-starter? Cause it just wouldn't make any sense, you know? Right. So these things all prompt to maturity, but, but certainly painful in the moment, you know, like we've had uh, valuable and important executives that have left or left suddenly um, for various reasons. And, you know, that always leaves a bit of a void. I think that, that taught, taught us a, a lesson around succession planning and around, kind of overlapping accountabilities, not just across the organization, but up and down the seniority chain. Like if you if you have one person who's just a leader and they know all of these things, and then they have like individual people under them that just own sort of an isolated bucket underneath it, and they don't yeah. have any overlap with sort of running the show, no one has any knowledge of how to run the show if that person leaves, right? You just yeah. have the ability to run five like independent mini shows and not and not bring it together and that's that's yeah. a problem right yeah um yeah <laughs> so many, so many problems I and mean, then you know you have the <laughs> pandemic which um right. that was interesting because i mean it's both been a challenge and it's also unlocked a bunch of doors so before the pandemic we grappled for a long time with how to try to approach expanding to schools that were further geographically from our sort of core, which was downtown Toronto, right? Ryerson's an obvious extension. You know, know, York is is not too much further. Uh, McMaster is is not too much further. But as you get further and further out, if you want to go to uh, Western or or Queens or or Waterloo, or if you want to go to UBC or whatever, these are, you you can't just like get folks to kind of come to all one place for like a learning seminar, right? Yeah. Now, as we moved to do this program during the middle of the pandemic, obviously, that was just the default was like, people are just yeah. going to come together virtually, and so be yeah. it. And, you know, our, our sort of default mindset, which is like, this is centered around spaces on campus. Um, that fell away a little bit. And it's opened us up to be a little bit, it's a little bit easier for us to engage with new chapters and new campuses now. Um, and it's, it's prompted some of the other changes to our operating model that have made that even easier. 
Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so many lessons there. So for folks that are looking to look at a not-for-profit, the volunteer base is a unique challenge on that side. And you might want to think of like talent retention, engagement, and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, uh, and you also mentioned the different uh, levels because you have, well, in, in your model, it's like a, a three-sided marketplace where you have clients, you have mentors, and you have uh, students. Uh, and for any folks in startup where they have a two side where they have to match the levels well three is another level of uh, complexity yeah um, the, the starting of the chapter i guess that's for those that have a broader vision for their uh not-for-profit in the case they want to have multiple uh different locations yeah or uh, if you have a well. business that you want to think about franchising right same sure. same problem yeah. set same concept um yeah. anything that's like a, meaningful expansion models, right? Like ours was an expansion organizationally to include a more stratified leadership structure where like we weren't the de facto leaders of the whole thing because the whole thing was just in one place. So it was like, okay, we're the yeah. leaders of this. And then we oversee sort of semi-independent modules, you know, right. anything where you're doing that, we had geographic expansion, all these things. And, and the organization as a whole has expanded and changed so much, <laughs> you know, I think that that creates a whole new set of challenges that you have to, you have to anticipate not only how to solve that problem, but how does that ripple out to other things, right? Like, does that right. impact, d does that change impact the way that you do talent retention? Was, was the way that you used to be structured a critical element of why a lot of people wanted to sign up with you in the first place? And now that's right. lost, you know? We had a lot of issues around uh, around finances, right? Like for a long time, we didn't really have a good model for how to finance ourselves, and now we have a you know we have a financing structure that you know gets money from a number of different places and makes it more sustainable. Um, we didn't really do any marketing for a long time, and then you know we had an amazing marketing lead that drove that really well for a long time. So yeah, I think I think it's the finding kind of a healthy balance as you grow is the biggest challenge and not trying to make big leaps that make achieving that, that equilibrium afterwards so hard that you're going to kind of fall off. Right. What, what I took from that is for those that are starting not-for-profits, you're really starting your own business, right? Finance, marketing, all of these departments that a, an actual company would have. Well, you're not-for-profit, even though you're there to do good, right? Well, that's your your product, your service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that that's out of that. Uh, people need to know how to do it. There's uh, at some point you you may not be charging folks, but you still have to pay for things like like websites and and uh, other consumables that happen, like name tags and and uh, yeah. what what have you, in order to uh, get around. Even access to like different Zoom accounts and like the free stuff can only go so far. Um, and uh, th there are definitely ways to, to arrange it in a sustainable way and, and a little bit more challenging. Um, so it sounds like that right now, UCG is, is a pretty good spot. It'll obviously continue to evolve and, and grow. Um, if you were to share some like high level swipe, the stuff I wish I knew earlier for folks that are out there starting student clubs, volunteer organizations, not-for-profits, what are uh, a couple of them? What, what should they, shouldn't have you done <laughs> or what, would you say you definitely need to do? I, I know you mentioned a bunch of them uh, throughout, but are there any ones that you want to particularly highlight or, or add on to? I think, and I, I don't think this is just something for a nonprofit, but I think it helps because often 
with a nonprofit, I think sometimes like the work you're doing can feel like it's like the whole, the whole answer. That's the mission, you know? Okay. Um, but I think taking a, a pause to think about like, what is the purpose of this organization? How does it, how does that translate into the, the things that are the unmovable truths that have to kind of stay static about the organization as you grow, as you expand, um, I think it can help to give focus to a lot of your decisions so that you're not just trying to, you know, make, make kind of these narrow tactical choices all the time. Right. I think the ideas right. up front of these are going to be real results. These are going, this is going to be value for everyone that's involved and we are going to behave in a way and deliver outcomes in a way that emulates what you would expect from a real consulting firm. Mm -hmm. That was, that was very useful as a tool for simplifying a lot of decisions down, right? It's like, well, you know what, this would be nice for the students or whatever. Like, why don't we do this thing? That's a little bit easier. Like, well, will that dilute the quality of what the, what the client ultimately receives? Well, then no, we're not going to, we can't, we can't do that thing. Right. right. Or like, well, do we need to get more focus on here? Like, how do we feel about our talent mix on the individual teams? Like, well, what do they need in order to be able to deliver a real result? Okay, then let's go ahead with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's one, like that sense of intent uh, right. and what does that translate into is a really good, I'll call it a heuristic almost for simplifying a lot of your decisions as a leader is you can come back to those things and say like, well, against the litmus test of this thing I said we stand for, does yeah. it get us there or not, right? Yeah. Um, especially because there are a lot of easy decisions that kind of divert you that, right. you know, you can avoid. And then the other, th yeah. the other thing I'll say is I think, especially with a small organization, as it grows, so many of your problems are just people problems, you know, even mm -hmm. if they look like there's something else, I mean, if they look like they're financial issues or they look like they're process issues or whatever, at the end of the day, most of your problems are people problems, right? They're mostly right. issues of, of talent or culture or motivation or, or skill or intelligence, whatever it is, right? All of, like getting the, the right people, understanding why they're involved and what motivates them, what keeps them motivated. Um, and then figuring out how to make sure that people are just communicating and engaging with each other effectively that like right. cuts down on like probably two thirds of the biggest pains that you're going to experience if you're proactive about those things, right? So many of the problems that we experienced were like, well, it sounds like these people aren't talking to each other or, right. you know, like sounds like no one ever bothered to ask the customer if that was what right. they actually wanted or like no one ever bothered to tell this person that they were going to get this benefit out. And that's why they quit. You know, yeah. just so many of these things are just, like they're not hard, but yeah. they require consistency and yeah. and effort and focus, right? And I think it can be, it can be, um, it can be desirable, for lack of a better word, right? To sure. to avoid them or dismiss them or de-emphasize them as a leader because you want to focus on structural stuff and you want to focus on. Right on your brand and positioning, you want to focus on all these other things, but man, at the end of the day, like find great people, keep them happy, 
deliver things that make other people happy and so much follows from that. Yeah. I think uh, no truer words were, were said for starting a not-for-profit or really any other organization. Yeah. As, and as I think that the, the benefit of that guidance is that it scales, right? Yeah. And like a lot of the, the biggest success stories of organizations that have been startups or small and have scaled up to become massive is that they held on to that that core understanding longer than other organizations. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's very helpful. And, and for folks starting something out, focusing on their core values, or you mentioned like immovable truths, what is that core grounding? Why do we even exist? Mm -hmm. That's something that you always want to go back to because to your point, there are always these little decisions that might lead you yeah. astray uh, that, that don't contribute. And uh, I love what you said about most, if not all, uh, of your problems are probably going to be people problems, right? Uh, if you break it down into it, it's usually someone is not talking to or not communicating or didn't get uh, some sort of information. And just by opening lines of communication, it, it, it can help because folks want to do good. And uh, to your point, if they don't see, see the benefit or the value to, to them necessarily, then, well, they, they don't have to because it's pure volunteer, right? So yeah. uh, it, it, it can be uh, an extra layer of, of challenge uh, for folks that are uh, going to be involved and, in a volunteer organization. And I think that the, the, the intersection of those two concepts is that having a good sense of that mission of those immovable truths about your organization and having a line of sight to, to people all the time, the, mm. the intersection of those two is your is your value your value proposition your value that's actually being created and, and delivered right understanding why you exist makes it a lot easier to then turn around and talk to people around the benefit the value of your organization and if you're a nonprofit you know if you're if you're starting up the ability to help people understand why you exist why they should value you why they should invest in you why they should fund you why they should partner, lots of different, mm -hmm. you know, modes of engagement, most of them anchor on the value proposition of what you have to offer, why you exist, why you are more relevant than the next organization that does something comparable. And when you're thinking about engaging with your people, with, with clients, with customers, whatever, again, having thought through why you exist and the, the corresponding value proposition to those people is... It just makes all of that again so much easier because it's consistent, right? And it does. You're not yeah. saying one thing one day and then opportunistically you're saying something different the next day, right? Yeah, I think that's a lot of great experience and insights, and hopefully, folks that do decide to embark on the road to start a not-for-profit student club or volunteer organization can heed some of these uh, lessons learned. And where, where can folks go to re learn a little bit more about UCG? Uh, the website would probably be a good spot for students mm -hmm. that want to uh, become um, members or, or kind of do some consulting work, get their feet wet in there for mentors, hopefully with some consulting experience that want to provide their guidance and advisory and not-for-profits charities that would love some very high quality work done for a fraction, <laughs> if not no cost yeah. to them. Uh, those are kind of the main folks and maybe other uh, university campuses that would like to have uh, the UCG uh, or be part of that. Uh, those are kind of the main folks. Uh, 
would it be the, the website? Would it be um, some other social media? Or where should they go to to find out more information? Yeah, best places to, to find out more or to contact the University Consulting Group is uh, the website, which is universityconsultinggroup.com. Uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, they have a prominent presence on LinkedIn. So you can look for the university consulting group on LinkedIn, um, where the, uh, where the like blue and yellow orange logo. Um, okay. uh, and you can, you know, you can reach out to them through either of those channels, right? They're always looking to engage with, uh, consulting firms that want to collaborate and partner with nonprofits and charities here in Canada. That want to that want to engage and have a, a big strategic challenge they're looking for help with, uh, or you know individuals that want to participate either as a mentor, as a student, as a leader, like lots of lots of ways to engage with the organization. Um, and if you have other questions about anything that like I talked about today, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Marquez D, M A R Q U E Z D, uh, on LinkedIn. And, uh, and obviously listen to my podcast as well, which is called Strategish, where I talk about yeah. strategy and try to make it uh, more accessible to everyone. And we'll definitely include all of those uh, links in the show notes. So thanks, uh, Dan, for sharing your experience and your insights. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at LukiDanu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.